Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Adweek Podcast. We're talking about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor at Adweek. And with me is fan favorite podcast guest, Emmy Lederman, agency's reporter, covers the influencer economy, creator economy. Emmy, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. Is it a pleasure? Will we see after I, this episode? I'm, I always say it's a pleasure. All right. Uh, and in legitimate pleasures, I'm glad to also welcome uh, Terry Stanley, T.L. Stanley, senior editor here at Adweek. Terry, always great to have you on. Terry covers uh, cannabis and plant-based foods and uh, a lot of the spirits industry and the spirits alternative industry, uh, which is a bit of a, a teaser for what we're going to be talking about today. Terry, how are you doing? So good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we are here today to talk about, oh, and uh, Shannon Miller, our creative and inclusion editor, could not be here this week, but she'll be back soon. Uh, we are here today to talk about a piece that Emmy wrote the other day, and it's an ongoing issue, which I'm sure will come up more. And I've been noticing it more and more, so Emmy props on jumping on this. Uh, certainly not the... A, a brand new trend, but I would say a growing trend. It's one that Terry has also covered from the consumer perspective as well, uh, which is the movement away from being an alcohol-centric um, industry or industry events that are very alcohol-centric uh, and just being a little more mindful of folks who uh, have different uh, perspectives on alcohol. Also, as Terry has covered, uh, from a, as I mentioned, from a consumer perspective, we've had a rise in alcohol alternatives, uh, both everything from alcohol-free beer, which, of course, has been around for a while but is definitely getting better, uh, and alcohol-free spirits, which I think is a fascinating category because if you take the alcohol out of spirits, you've, you've got nothing. So those are like really inventing something from scratch. Uh, Emmy, tell me about how you first uh, decided to uh, pursue this, this story. Um, I was inspired by kind of a personal journey of mine to try to reevaluate my relationship with alcohol. Um, graduated from college in 2021, and in order to make some of those parties bearable, you had to be belligerently not sober. So I decided to see what my social life was like, would be like without alcohol. And I think that a lot of, I went to social media week and I got, and I went to a lot of events. And when you got a non-alcoholic beverage for the people that maybe knew you weren't drinking, like they wouldn't be as judgmental, but I definitely got a lot of weird reactions from certain people when I talked about how I don't drink and um, well, I didn't drink for a few months. And so that kind of inspired me because I figured that, you know, as you get older, a lot, a lot more people would be reevaluating their relationships with alcohol. So I thought it would be, especially in a industry like advertising that tends to celebrate that way. Um, I thought it would be an interesting piece. 
Terry, what, what have you noticed? Uh, you have worked with Adweek for quite a while. Um, have you noticed changes in the the conversation specifically within this kind of the marketing advertising community, which, of course, going back to the Mad Men era and probably well before that <laughs> has always had alcohol as this uh, sort of uh, default setting of the way that this industry socializes. Have, have you noticed changes in the last few years? Absolutely. And I think it, it was the default setting for a lot of businesses. Um, but I think uh, advertising really got that reputation, not just from film, not just from TV, but it really, it it, it percolated that reputation um, as being like that very um, hard drinking cocktails, cocktail culture. And that's um, absolutely changed. But there is still just as Emmy was saying, um, a bit of a stigma, a bit of a side eye. If if people are not drinking, they are choosing not to drink. So um, there's a bit of a push and pull. Yes, I think it, it has changed over time. Most definitely, we are far away from the lampshade on the head, you know, crazy parties of back when. And even when, I mean, I certainly remember people in our own company, uh, who covered advertising and who were really kind of embedded in that culture, uh, you know, drinking like hard liquor at lunch, which that, I mean, that was, that's, it was unheard of for Californians, you know, like they would come out here and order, you know, scotch and soda at lunch. And we would all be like, what is going on here? That was unheard of in crunchy California, but it was very much part of that New York scene. And and tell us real quick about kind of from the from the consumer of the product uh, angle. Uh, as I mentioned, this is something you've covered a lot in recent years. It is a just increasingly visible trend, even outside of California, which I know LA was really an epicenter for this. Um, but but you've got brands like Seedlip that are popping up more and more um, as alcohol-free spirits alternatives, and more of these. And, and we've you've written about alcohol-free wine. Uh, it really does feel like it's. It's certainly it's not mainstream, but it's enough to fill a pretty good sized shelf at even a, like I live in suburban Alabama. Even here, it is now a pretty uh, abundant product. So, so kind of where are we at the moment in terms of the growth of these of these products? And and was it not to? I, I, and I I don't know if this is an obvious question or not, but I mean, how much of it was driven by pandemic and just kind of the reset of all of us? being at home and having to confront the amount we drink uh, in this more isolated environment? It, it's absolutely exploding. And it was even prior. The interesting thing is you would think this would be um, a U.S.-based movement. It it actually, just like Dry January, um, started in, in Europe, like the UK, Germany, other other countries have been, they're, they're kind of ahead of us in, in this um, movement and this sort of modern temperance movement. But it started even before the pandemic here. It just happened to kind of accelerate during that time where, again, you had that yin and yang of people like drinking like, uh, I don't care, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, you know, give me a cocktail. And then on the other hand, people really thinking much more about their overall health and wellness. And um, just like Emmy said too, that reevaluating their, their relationship with alcohol, but we have a whole new generation of consumers that never had a, a relationship with alcohol to begin with. So they're prime and they, 
you know, they're looking for something, uh, you know, sophisticated and, and with beautiful packaging and totally bougie. So, um, yeah, that's where the rise comes from. I mean, we're, we're so far into it now that Diageo is, is in bed with Seedlip. And pretty soon we will see some of these other thriving brands on the non-alk side get snapped up by big alcohol. So, Emmy, um, it, it does feel like with the uh, certainly the pandemic is not over. Uh, in fact, it is it is raging uh, pretty well. Um, but that said, uh, folks are getting out and socializing a lot more. And it does feel like there's this newfound, um, you know, kind of mindfulness or just awareness, I guess, of the of the way that alcohol plays into those this return to social life. What did you hear as you started talking to folks in the industry, uh, especially those who are not drinking and, and kind of how they feel about where they stand in this in this social conversation? Well, something that I found really interesting from my conversation with a alcohol and drug addiction expert was a lot of times we tend to think that there are two sides to the spectrum and it's black and white. It's people who struggle with addiction and people who don't struggle with addiction. But a lot of times there's that gray area where there's someone who maybe is drinking because they have anxiety. They're not necessarily addicted to it, but it is kind of feeding this aggressive cycle of more anxiety. Cause I think we can all relate to those morning after anxiety moments where you realize that, Oh yeah, it's actually not helping me with my mental health. Um, so I think that more people that kind of exist in that gray area are reevaluating and just saying like, you know what, I don't want to drink tonight. Like I don't have necessarily a codependence on alcohol and it's not because you have a family history. It's just kind of a personal choice. But I think that people in the advertising industry now, as Terry was saying, there used to be, it used to be at the forefront of culture. I mean, I don't know personally, but just from like things that I know about the history of advertising. Um, and I think that now more companies are trying to facilitate a culture where there's, you know, this woman, Talia, that I talked to, um, who is in her sobriety period. Um, she said that she owns an agency and she talked about how they have kombucha on tap. They also have beer, but they have like other options for non-drinkers. So I think that the cultural change change is really going to be driven by agency leaders who create those alternatives. Yeah, I, I felt like I was more sensitive to it at Cannes this year. We all just, uh, you know, got back from the Cannes Lions, and that is a very uh, rosé, uh, you know, sloshed event uh, in general. But I do feel like there was a little more awareness of everywhere I went – Maybe not everywhere, most everywhere, every event, especially Adweek events, I was really proud of the fact that we had alternative stations, right? It's like, yes, there were bars, um, but there was almost always a juice bar. There was almost always some some alternative where I think in the past you would have just, the best you're getting is a club soda from the bartender, you know? Um, and it, it was interesting to see that they are really creating spaces because you could argue oh well there's plenty of drink alternatives and there's, there's really not <laughs> there's like coke and club soda if, if you're left to a traditional bar but it's the gathering space aspect that i think people really kind of overlook the fact that this is just where the default uh gathering spot uh is is going to be around alcohol because you're not going to have like a coffee bar uh at a at a 
95 degree uh, summer event. Um, and so, so it was interesting seeing that that we're getting there. Also, I would note that I went to the three uh, percent conference. I, I guess the last three percent conference. They said they're not going to do any more uh, events or you know the big annual conference. But I thought it was really nice that they had a uh, alcohol free happy hour. Um, and like no one complained. It's not like anyone went and was just like I demand alcohol. Uh, it was great. They had it, they gave it all the same treatment uh, that a uh, alcohol that a, a standard happy hour where they had uh, custom drinks you know, made just for the event. They were just non-alcoholic uh, because one of the major sponsors uh, with Walmart uh, was really open about her uh, her relationship with alcohol and how she how and why she has moved away. So she got up on stage and talked about that. A lot of people in the audience really resonated with them. So it wasn't just kind of dropped on people. It wasn't just anyway, there's no alcohol at this event. It's here's why we're doing this. Here's why it's important to us. Uh, they also had a bar uh, outside of that area, so if you if you really just want to go get a glass of wine or something, you absolutely could. Um, but it's it was nice, and, and I think we're going to be seeing more of those. Uh, Terry, let's let's quickly talk about. Um, and, and I want to be I want to be sensitive here because substances are substances, and there are a lot of them. Uh, but the the reality too is that there are alternatives to alcohol now for those who do want uh, you know some kind of modification. Uh, that there just didn't used to be. You hear more and more people microdosing uh, and talking about how that's their weekend um, recreation uh, versus alcohol. Uh, but also you finally have cannabis beverages uh, and alternatives. And I, I know that you and I have talked about maybe even on the show that brands like Can, the the I think it's C-A-N-N, right, the cannabis-infused beverage, they're really leaning into this no hangover <laughs> like aspect of it. So tell us a little about what you're seeing there in terms of the opportunity for those those cannabis drinks and other alternatives. There's there's a lot of interesting things going on in the and I I um I just posted a story yesterday in Adweek about Fourth of July predictions and one of the researchers mentioned drinks and I had just recently also done a, a kind of a deeper dive and trend story in. Uh, about THC spike drinks. It's, you know, it's going to be the summer of THC booze. That's their booze. Um, there's no actual booze in it. That's not, that's not legal. But um, I thought something that was interesting from that research yesterday that BDSA has found. See, big alcohol is very afraid of cannabis, just like big pharma is very afraid of cannabis, right? So if you, if you turn to cannabis, you're going to drop your uh, pharmaceuticals, you know, your prescription drugs, possibly, potentially. If you turn to cannabis, you're not going to drink alcohol anymore. What this BDSA research said was, well, people are really doing both. So there's co-consumption going on. Um, and I certainly know that's true from people in my circles. Like it's, it's almost that zebra striping where, you know, I think that term got got sort of coined for drinking a non-alcoholic and then an alcoholic and then a non-alcoholic. Well, what's happening in cannabis, you're drinking a THC beverage and then maybe a hard seltzer and then a THC beverage. And, you know, they're mixing everything together. So it's not necessarily a swap out, but maybe for some people it is. So I think uh, both big alcohol and big pharma are watching this very, very carefully to see if people really are turning away from them and turning toward 
um, cannabis, but the cannabis beverages have come so far. They're tasty, they're light, they're refreshing. This is not the dank old weed soda from years back that you were like, oh my God, that is vile. Um, so, yeah. and it's pretty, it's pretty low amounts of THC. It's not low. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, although, yeah, it's you not. know, it's, uh, it depends. I mean, um, can is, is often two, two milligrams of THC. Sometimes it's five. They've done, some, you know, people are doing experiments there. Um, some of the popular ones are even doing 10, like 10 milligrams in a can. That's, um, you know, that's no joke. That's yeah. 10 milligrams. <laughs> I'll put you up there. That's a little bit of a kick in the ass. Um, but otherwise, uh, and and there certainly are on the other end of the spectrum, there's some very funny, very throwback kind of products that like we are serious hardcore. And you know, it it comes in a particular with a hundred milligrams of THC in it, and it will have little marks on the dosage on the side people do not do, they just take the whole you know they just drink the whole thing so that is crazy right <laughs> so there's well, and what's the high potency out there but the very very you know there's very popular for the can of curious certainly is that microdose and and isn't there uh is it dad grass that's like the almost no thc like you're it, so it's interesting that even within cannabis there is like the equivalent of non-alcoholic cannabis yes definitely and there's, you know, there's a market for that, although it's, it, it's rather like a dad grass is, is very popular. They're super smart about their branding and community, but there's, there's sort of a niche, like people are trying to do that almost like weed light. Um, but the, the seasoned experienced users are going for the Seth Rogen level of THC. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're going to take a quick break and then we're back. Uh, I'm going to talk about more about Emmy's story and what she is hearing, what we're all seeing in terms of this uh, pretty substantial social change around our perspectives on drinking. We'll be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. All right, we're back. Uh, Emmy, you are more recently out of college, as you mentioned early on, uh, than uh, uh, than. But not, not not to give away too much about our ages, but the, Terry and I are not uh, super close to being out of college. What are you seeing in terms of other other people your age? Are they are they getting to these conversations as as quickly as you are, or do you still feel like that it takes a while before people get to kind of re- reevaluating their approach to alcohol? I think people are definitely 
not necessarily in my social circles specifically, um, but I see a lot on TikTok about like sober curious lifestyles. And that was a term that I like to use when I was kind of embarking on my journey. But then sometimes you get to a point where you're like, you kind of criminalize the alcohol in your head and you're like, all right, this is really bad for me to have like one glass of wine, even if you're having it with dinner or something. And that's personally why I decided to live more of a damp lifestyle. That's another term that people are using opposed to a totally dry lifestyle. But yeah, a lot of people my age are starting to realize that they're losing their weekends when they go out drinking at night because you can't go to the farmer's market on Saturday morning or you can't get brunch with your friends on Saturday morning because you're still feeling or you're beginning to feel the negative effects of your drinking. Um, and they also wake up the next day and say, like, what did I say to this person? Did I text my ex? Did I make a bad decision? So um, I think especially in the age of social media where it's so easy to post something that you're going to regret maybe the next morning. Um, I think a lot of people are doing soul searching and they're like reading more books about it and trying to find alternative ways to have fun. And I know that there's a lot of like sober bars popping up around cities. I think there are a few in New York, a lot in a big one in Austin. So yeah, I, I think this change, millennials typically, I think there's a stat about how much they love to drink. Um, so I think Gen Z is certainly at the core of this movement. It was interesting once I, I had an interesting argument. I guess I I think it's fair to call it an argument with someone. We ran a piece about mindful mindful drinking. This was several years ago, and this idea of um uh, basically just being a little more thoughtful about how much you drink, being a little more intentional, I guess is the best word, right? Like going into your night being like, well, I'm okay drinking, but I'm going to drink this much. And I'm going to, to, to Terry's comment on zebra striping, which is one of my new favorite terms I've learned of multiple on this episode. Um, you know, just having a little more intention and not just being like, I'm going to go out and I don't know, drink, uh, and then uh, a friend of mine who uh, is a recovering alcoholic was really upset about that story because they said, you know, basically to your point, to them, it was somewhat binary. You you drink or you don't um, and that there is no in between. And I, I disagree with that. I mean, I, I just I think to the point of a lot of what we're talking about today that for some people that is the best and the only uh, really safe option. And I, I absolutely respect and understand that for other people. It's just about knowing your own comfort levels. And setting those and being more intentional and, and being as a society and as an industry to the point of this conversation, right, of being more respectful of that and just recognizing that you want to create a vibe and, and a feeling that you you are, you know, you're here to um, have a good time, uh, but it's not about just going and getting absolutely hammered. I think to Terry's point about lunches, that is true. I was um, surprised when I started uh, many years ago at Adweek. How many how many people both uh, some we worked with, some just in the industry, they would just go out and drink like a bottle of wine at lunch. And I guess no offense if you do that. That is I'm not constitutionally prepared to do that. I like I would be passed out uh, just asleep after uh, three glasses of wine or whatever. And then or they would drink like hard cocktails and stuff. And I was just like, damn, I don't see that anymore. I've not seen that in years. Uh, so I think we are seeing some changes, uh, you know, around the behaviors of it. But, uh, Emmy, what are you, um, 
what, what kind of response have you gotten from the story? Because uh, I do feel like it started a lot of conversations. I'm sure you've heard from folks. Uh, what are you hearing? I think one of the best parts of my job is when people compliment my stories, but not as a lead into pitching, because I'm sure that we've, you've gotten some, some pitches that are like, Hey, I really love your story. And you're like, Oh, that's really sweet. I actually have a client that would be really great for a follow-up on XYZ. But then I get people who, when someone sends you an email from like their Gmail account, that's when you know that it's going to be genuine. And they say, (laughs) (laughs) they're like, I, um, have been sober for this many years. Someone I used to work with actually reached out to me about it. Um, And this really resonated with me. Even people that don't work in advertising um, kind of, you know, they probably don't subscribe to Adweek and it was a premium story. So sorry about that. But they, um, (laughs) they were reaching out to tell me that they're really happy that I was just covering the topic in general. Um, It got a ton of traffic um, on according to parsley.com. And I think that, yeah, people were really grateful that I was starting the conversation, which made me feel pretty good. So That's great. Terry, what, what do you think we're going to see in the next few years, both in terms of industry interactions of just us as people, as the world kind of hopefully reopens a little bit, but then also consumer trends and product trends? What do you think we're going to see over the next uh, two, three years? We've already seen the opening and the flourishing of several, a number of um, non-ALK retailers. So it looks like a liquor store and there are all these beautiful products in there, but they're all non-ALK. That honestly makes more sense to me than, uh, than a sober bar because a bar is a bar, right? Like I, as a consumer, Um, If I can go to a lovely, you know, restaurant, nightclub and order ritual or seed lip and it comes in a beautiful, beautifully crafted cocktail, that's probably more meaningful to me than I I don't think I'm going to it feels a little narrow and exclusionary to go to a sober bar, you know, why would I go to Mm. a bar? That's interesting. You know, would you... Is it exclusionary in that you, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Um, I don't know. Maybe it's like a vegan restaurant. Oh, so it's not just because it's, it's just so, so you would feel better if it was a bar that had sober options and. Well, if you're in a group of people, um, I think that gives it, it's like the flexitarian version of. Right. Like it gives everybody an option. Somebody's going to order wine. Somebody's going to order an athletic brewing, you know, very tasty non-alk beer. Somebody else is going to order a cocktail, you know, a highball or whatever. Like, I think that is more conducive to the spread of the that this category than those standalone kind of, you know, um, islands. That makes sense. Well, it's a bit... Yeah, it's a bit like how, and you've written a lot about this, how the secret to the billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar marketing of these plant-based beef alternatives has been that they go after beef eaters. They are not going after vegans. Exactly, Um, because if somebody might even just want to try it, and then they become a regular, they think, okay, I'll try this seed lip, and then I'll order my regular vodka soda or whatever, And but they may become a convert that way. They... 
um, you know, they like the seed lip so much that they might then go and buy it at retail um, and, you know, start ordering it at their favorite restaurant or something like that. I think that seems to be a, a lot more conducive to propelling that category rather than sectioning it off and making it something where, you know, only certain people are going to go to that place. And, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the these kind of somewhat niche products of, of Seedlip and some of these others that I don't think have a lot of mainstream awareness, but it feels like one of the first brands that really got that did get that level of mainstream attention was Betty Buzz, uh, which Blake Lively launched. Um, God, what was that year ago, uh, Terry? You had covered that. And she was very open at the time that uh, she is not a drinker um, and that she obviously her husband, Ryan Reynolds, uh, owns a gin company. And I think the more events they had done, it sounded like the more she realized uh, that the mixers, the the non-alcoholic side of that equation were often garbage. I think that a lot of times when celebrities do things, it makes people more feel more comfortable to be able to um, follow those actions. And a lot of times we, we see that with mental health a lot. When celebrities are open about their mental health, we feel like it's appropriate for us to talk about it. So I think Blake Lively has really been at the center of this non-alcoholic movement. And um, I, I think that she's created kind of what like what Terry was saying before about the sober bars and how those are kind of putting something on an island opposed to having a space where you have both alcoholic and non-alcoholic stuff. Her The Betty Buzz, you know, I could drink it straight and then my friend could drink it with vodka and we would be able to share that experience. There's another brand, um, Gaia, I think it's called, G-H-I-A. And the founder um, is uh, European. I forget exactly where she's from, but she was talking about um, growing up, alcohol was such a huge part of their her culture, but she realized it wasn't about the alcohol that was bringing people together. It's about the act of drinking together just in general, even if it doesn't involve alcohol. So I think a lot more people are starting to realize that and kind of resonate with that message. Well, I think something we we don't think about much just because it's been such a long timeline is that for a long time, alcohol was the only safe thing to drink, right, for thousands of years. And there's a reason that when we talk about why so much of culture revolves around it is because, like, it, it not only was the default setting, it was the only setting uh, really until – until you get to like coffee and tea uh, much later uh, in terms of popular like gathering drinks. But I really do think that to your point, there's a lot of cultures that are hundreds, sometimes, you know, even longer years old where this drinking has been a big part of it because it was the only thing you could drink without getting sick. And, uh, and, and that is what led to things like prohibition and, and just the abundance of alcohol. It's everywhere. It takes a long, you know, the, these things, go a lot farther back than um, than we think sometimes. Uh, Terry, sorry, you were about to say something. Oh, um, on the, the Emmy's point about celebrities leading the way sometimes um, and really democratizing and, and calling attention to an issue certainly has been the case in plant-based. It was professional athletes um, early and they were early investors, early adopters, celebrities, you know, whether, you know, movie, um, musicians, 
really helped advance that movement early on, really lit the fire. Um, I mean, now it's it's almost, it, it's every other day we hear of a relationship between a plant-based brand and a celebrity. It's kind of become a cliche at this point, but um, that's not true in the non-ALK space. But I think because Blake Lively was one of the first and really made a splash with Betty Buzz, that it it absolutely will advance that category. Well, it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see, especially from the event side. Uh, I guess my only advice uh, I shouldn't have to give, I feel like this is somewhat obvious, but I've seen a lot of people stumble over this, is like if someone tells you they're not drinking, if you ask someone, do you want to drink? And they say uh, either no or any variation of I don't drink, I'm not drinking. Uh, it's okay to just uh, shut the hell up right then and stop you know, not pursue that conversation. Um, and I've seen some, some, uh, jokes about this on, on Twitter and, and TikTok and stuff where people are just like, uh, you know, that conversation rarely goes somewhere you really want to go in that exact moment. <laughs> and so I'm not saying there should be any stigma around it. I'm just saying I'm shocked sometimes when I hear someone say, no, I'm not drinking. And then people like pursue it as a conversation with someone they do not know closely. And I'm like, they're always like, why, why? It's always why. And then they say, um, like, oh, how long have you been sober for? Which I was, you know, happy to tell people because I'd never struggled with addiction, really. But for someone who's really struggling, it could be a day. It could be three days. It could be a week. Like there's there's really no you're not adding any value to your knowledge base by knowing how long someone has been sober, in my opinion. Yeah. And and it's. So that's just something I would throw out there again as someone who has seen these conversations. And it's not to say I've always handled those perfectly, but I think generally if someone tells me they're not drinking, I just uh, say, gotcha, can I get you something else? Uh, and I, I feel like that's about all you need to do. So just throwing that out there as like maybe a uh, something to be mindful of. And if you see people reacting in ways that you think are making someone else uncomfortable, maybe kind of steer them in a more positive direction. Doesn't that show you how embedded it is in our culture? Like, mm -hmm. what do you mean you're not drinking? Yeah, it really is the default set. Like, what's it to you, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, well, th this has been such a great conversation. Emmy, thank you so much for tackling that. I have a feeling uh, this is not the last story that, that uh, and and as we've mentioned, Terry has written many articles about this trend. Um, dry January is going to be back sooner than we know it. And uh, there's multiple events coming around uh, beyond Dry January uh, that are expanding on this topic. Uh, so uh, thank you. Thank you both. Uh, Emmy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, definitely check out her story. The headline is Non-Drinkers Are Struggling in an Agency World That Relies on Alcohol on Adweek.com. Uh, it is a, a premium story for Adweek subscribers. So if you're not already an Adweek subscriber, it's a great time. Lots of lots of good stuff in there. Uh, Terry Stanley, thanks so much for joining us. And I encourage everyone to check out uh, all of Terry Stanley. She writes under T.L. Stanley. Uh, check out her extensive coverage of this, of cannabis, of uh, plant-based foods, everything. One of the best writers I've ever worked with. Uh, such a pleasure to have you on the show, Terry. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network podcast was produced by Al Manorino and edited by Lane McGibney at Bellwell Studios. Uh, don't forget you can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. That's adweek.com slash podcasts. Uh, and you can stay up to date on everything we're doing in the Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter. We're at Adweek Podcasts on Twitter. Adweek Podcasts. Uh, you can drop us a note anytime. Podcast at adweek.com. Podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we'll be back next week.